You're listening to Four at the Back, and we've gone to extra time. Welcome back to Four at the Back. Uh, we've got a bonus episode for you this week. Uh, we're going to do a little uh, 11 for you. We did one as a bonus episode in season one where we looked at uh, our favourite um, 11 from the teams that we looked at during season one. Uh, this week, we've got a kind of uh, more uh, general one for you. Uh, this was something that Maz uh, found on social media, the idea of uh, your classic... 4-4-2 from the Premier League years. Now, of course, at the time when the Premier League began in 1992, and indeed for, I mean, really the 20 years or so before that, 4-4-2 was the, the default um, formation in the British game with the uh, the two box-to-box midfielders, the, uh, the wingers that would get up and down and put in crosses, and the strikers whose responsibility was to bang in the goals. And really, that was the way of things until, you know, maybe three or four years into the the era of the Premier League, where you started to see uh, some wing-backs, and you started to see a few more exotic things. Um, I guess the influence of people like Bergkamp and Cantona and Zola, meaning you got more of that kind of split striker, uh, shadow striker, number 10, whatever you'd like to call it going on and then of course once we get to Benitez and to Mourinho we start to see some 4-2-3-1 and since then of course tactics have, have, have kind of come all the way back round to the point where people like Sean Dyche have been using 4-4-2 all over again so we've got the whole kind of span of of 92 to uh, 2021 to look at and um, so as we did last time we'll take this position by position so uh joe's not with us tonight so we are actually officially three at the back again uh but we've got pete and matt here so uh pete do you want to start us off uh with your goalkeeper yeah okay uh i will start by saying that i am one of those idiots that if left to my own devices and allowed to pick anybody will fill this 11 with players from my own club so i've put a little bar on picking Aston Villa players on myself just so that I don't turn into an absolute raging homer. The the one exception that I've allowed myself is putting Peter Schmeichel in goal because I don't think with all due respect to his spell at Villa at the towards the end of his career I don't think any of us when we think of his great Premier League record think of him as an Aston Villa player even though he scored that first goal as a as a goalkeeper in the in the Premier League history. So really more for his Man United era I've gone with Peter Schmeichel in goal yeah I, I cannot 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 argue with that choice um you know there are there are a lot of good goalkeepers out there but you know schmeichel was just a, a step ahead of them all for me you know i mean who else you think about a really good long tenure for check at chelsea uh and and arsenal maybe not quite as good for arsenal but still decent um, you know, 
is there anyone else aside from those two that you can really consider? Uh, interesting theory that my friend put forward, and bear in mind, this is a 40-something Liverpool fan. Uh, and he said David De Gea, which is interesting, but his logic behind that was De Gea at his absolute best was the best goalkeeper in the world. And that that was enough for him. And I I don't buy that. I think, you know, if he was here for a short time while he was at that peak, then maybe you've got that argument. But, yeah, I mean, uh, some uh, less than stellar seasons since then uh, rules him out for me. Uh, but it's an interesting way of looking at something. I mean, one goalkeeper on their best season in the Premier League, he could be in with a shout there. Oh, on his on his best day, certainly. Like I mean, De Gea in that kind of, I guess in the United when they suddenly became crap era. So you know you're looking at at the Moyes seasons and the Van Gaal seasons, especially, and maybe the first half of the Mourinho time. He was incredible, wasn't he? I mean, in terms of his shot stopping, it, you know, I'm not, not sure if you've seen much like it. I guess the argument against De Gea is always that. You know, he's not really a complete goalkeeper. He is probably the best shot stopper I've seen, but he has considerable weaknesses with crosses, although he got a lot better with that over time. You know, he doesn't have the distribution of an Allison or a Neuer um, or an Edison. Um, you know, he doesn't have the sweeper keeper ability of a Neuer or a Larice. So, you know, it's that it's that kind of uh, balancing act with keepers, isn't it? I always think the thing about uh, someone like a seaman was that he was just a great all-rounder, wasn't he? He didn't let you down in any department. Um, but I mean, I just unless people were shooting from fifty yards, <laughs> unless you're Ronaldinho, yeah, <laughs> Ronaldinho and naive. Otherwise, he was pretty good. Um, yeah. My yeah, I've went for Schmeichel as well, simply because um, he was so dominant and he just had that psychological edge over so many strikers you know and he set the tone for that United team as much as Roy Keane did um you know and as much as um as Cantona did you know the spine of that great United team uh from you know that first great United team let's say you know the 92 to 96 team um he was a, he was a tone setter you know he was dominant from crosses he pioneered the starfish handball saves that he apparently learned from being a, a handball keeper as a kid in Denmark, where they play a lot of handball. Um, and he had that winning personality. So if you take everything all in all, I think that's why it's got to be Schmeichel. I did think long and hard about Czech because, again, his consistency over such a long period of time is probably unmatched, actually. Because um, Schmeichel could have the odd terrible game. Let's not get it twisted. He, he now and again could be made to look very silly. I mean, not least by Carol Paborski at uh, Euro '96. But um, yeah, overall, I think I think Schmeichel kind of has to be uh, the keeper in in a Premier League eleven. Be interesting to see actually. The other thing I would think about is you know Allison has set some unbelievable standards. Um, over the course of uh, his time at Liverpool. So, you know, if he stays at Liverpool for the next 10 years, then, as I don't know, I think you've got a pretty, uh, 
a pretty stiff competition for your for your Schmeichels and your checks there. Yeah, if if he holds that level of consistency for sure. I mean, anyone else worth a shout in in there? Worth a little mention? I mean, Van der Sar, great Van career Sar- at United and Fulham. Van der Sar is literally the the main name that we haven't mentioned that I sort of briefly toyed with. You can make a bit of a case for at his peak uh, Pep Reina, but I don't think it stands up to long term scrutiny, especially not when you've got Czech at the same time up against him. I think the reason he ended up with more clean sheets over that. Rep- period is because Liverpool were often a more defensively set up side under Benitez uh, I, th- I just wanted to finish off my, my thoughts there by saying I think the main argument that I would make against De Gea is if you're only going to take someone by that little moment at their best I mean I could actually using that logic throw in Joe Hart because there was a point where he was not actually too far off Cassias as the best goalkeeper in the world and was easily the best goalkeeper in the Premier League and now he's a joke and <laughs> you know it's the idea of taking Joe Hart feels really funny, but if you only look at one snapshot, one moment of their career, those weird things start to happen. So that would be my main argument against taking De Gea is how many other people would you be letting in the back door? Like yeah. Joe Hart's just one example. No, for sure, for sure. And it, it, it's very much confidence driven, you know, you know, on that basis, I'd say that month in the 98 uh, double season where Meninga came in for Seaman <laughs> and was just <laughs> literally the, you know, one player of the month. And, well, you know, that was it. There are some seasons where there are some seasons where you could say Mark Bosnich, you know, was not dissimilar to De Gea in terms of the shot stopping uh, extravagance, you know, so. Still had the best save I've ever seen that one where he's going the wrong way and kicks it out with his you know, trailing leg. That is still the most absurd meant save I've ever seen. But I don't think even I can claim Bosnich <laughs> belongs in there above Schmeichel. No, so so, so uh, we've all gone for Schmeichel there. So that's a little bit dull. Um, but uh, we, I say, let's see if we've got any more um, any more difference uh, between us with the full backs. Uh, so if we should we do right and left backs together, and then we'll we'll come on. We'll do centre halves after that. So, um, uh, Maz, what have you gone for for your right back and your left back? And if it's if it's Dixon and Winterburn, then <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not quite. Not? Okay. As, much, as much as I love them, it, it's not Dixon and Winterburn. Um, I've, I've already got a Schmeichel over Seaman, so my, my partisan is well out the window today. Uh, no, so uh, right back. I mean, in my mind this is probably even more of a slam dunk than a goalkeeper for Gary Neville if you want to talk about consistency and quality over a long stretch of time and winning things and pretty much by every standard you go to interesting certainly not you know it's a boring choice but you know Gary Neville just for how long and how well he did it uh, at right back um, for me Left back, certainly someone a little bit more interesting than, than Neville. Uh, I guess I am going into Arsenal territory a bit here. It's got to be Ashley Cole for me. Um, Ashley Cole is my biggest, why on earth did you do that with Arsenal? And I know he gets a bad, you know, a bad reputation with Arsenal fans, known as Cashley and stuff like that for his outrageous uh, comments about uh, his payment. But, you know, the fact is, he was probably something and didn't get it. So I think he's got every right to say that. I don't think, however much it was, even matters. And not just not just Cashley, but Cashley Hole, which is what was <laughs> the best bit of it. 
Oh dear. But yeah, I mean, in terms of how good that that that, that how good a footballer he was, absolutely fantastic. You know, he had that pace, he had that aggressiveness. He would hassle you. He could get forward. He just, you know, he proved it at Arsenal. Went to Chelsea and proved it there. And you know, arguably the best left back in the world at his peak. And you know arguably amongst the best left, back, left backs in the world for pretty much most of his career. Oh, he was, I would say he was, uh, on, you know, indisputably the best, um, the best fullback in the world. He, I think, I think that Cole for me is as much as he was kind of not most likable character personally, uh, he was the only one of the golden generation for me that was actually good for the entire time that he played for England. Um, and probably the only one I would say that completely fulfilled their potential. Um, I, I think he's, I think he's, you know, looking back objectively, by far the best player out of the entire golden generation for me. That's an interesting take. That's that. That could be an episode all in itself. That couldn't it? Um, yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to cycle back to that one at some point. Yeah, I think we will. It's not something I've ever thought about, but it, it's 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 there's a little scratch in my brain right now with that one. Uh, so, Pete, what have you gone with for your your uh, your choices? You're not going to believe this. I have actually gone for Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn. There you go. Uh, they were so reliable, weren't they? Yeah, and I'll t- I'll tell you why. I decided, and this is spoilers for the next bit. I decided very early on that when it came to defence, the individual personnel were not as important as the unit, and that left me with two choices. Am I going to take the Arsenal back four from '97 to '99, where they conceded hardly any, or am I going to take the Chelsea back four from under Mourinho? And I was I'm in an R and I've gone backwards and forwards on that, and eventually it's as simple as that. Chelsea bat four played in a 4-3-3 and they had Claude McAlady sat in front of them. And this Arsenal bat four, we know they can play in a 4-4-2 and that was just what made the decision. So uh, just to spoil the next round as well, before you go on to give your fullbacks, it is um, Dixon, Adams, Bold, Winterburn in the bat four for me, sitting in front of Peter Schmeichel, which is an interesting uh, way of thinking about it. Possibly the one way you could improve that bat four is swapping Schmeichel in for Seaman. Not gone for, you know, Stepanovs and... Uh... No. Lushni on that one or no? No, no. <laughs> the Arsenal back four. No. Um, it's interesting you uh, interesting you go in that route actually. Have you seen the uh, interview with with uh, from a couple of years back now? It was uh, Paul Merson interviewing Tony Adams, which but in itself sounds like an absolute car crash. And I don't think Merson ever had another one of those from Sky, so. I guess in a way it was, but it interestingly finished again with uh, Merce asking Big Tone for his uh, uh, all-time 11 that he's played with. And he went back and forth on that decision like 16 times. Does he pick the back four or does he pick who he thought were the four best individuals to go in there? I think after a lot of back and forth, he, he went your way. I think he said, right, no, we're having the back four in. Yeah. I mean, I would actually have probably picked exactly the same fullbacks as you had I decided to go for who I think are the best 11 players. But I thought the better defensive unit is that four, regardless of how 
Gary Neville individually stacks up against Lee Dixon, you know? It's just that, a, that's just my take. It's just a slightly different... It's a different... Um, I guess it's a different position. I mean, Neville and Cole played at a time probably when fullbacks were a bit more were getting a bit more progressive and, and you wouldn't say that Gary Neville was Trent Alexander-Arnold or anything when it came to going forwards but certainly he his relationship with David Beckham was really important for United and for England and and uh, Cole could move him across as well couldn't he yeah exactly I mean the goal at, at one of the goals at Euro uh, at Euro 96 was um, uh, was one of those as well wasn't it um, but uh uh, you know, I think the thing with Dixon and, and Winsburn was actually, you know, Dixon was considered like quite an attacking fullback compared to some of the people that were his rivals for getting a game with England. Um, I think he was a converted winger, if I remember rightly, weirdly enough. Um, but they were both like so good defensively. That's the thing is that is that you, you wouldn't get what you got going forward from. Um, from Neville and from Cole, but but those two, Winsburn and Dixon, their tackling, their tenaciousness, their positioning, their relationship with the centre halves, you know, uh, taken. A, I mean, the way they played offside. I know it's a cliche with that Graham Arsenal team, but but you know they were masters of it. It was, you know, apart from AC Milan, you've never seen a back four that could play offside like that. Um, so so um, I've kind of uh, gone a slightly different way. I mean, I've gone for Neville as my right back as well. Um, you know, the name that I kept playing with, just, just because he was so good in that invincible season, I did toy with Laurent as, as a right back. Because um, he just had so, he had so much kind of grace and power and I just really enjoyed watching him. Um, but I went with Neville in the end because, again, like the, the, the consistency over such a long period of time was, was really impressive. But my left back, I've gone with Dennis Irwin. Um, I loved Dennis Irwin. I just thought he was brilliant. Um, he, he just had, he had an amazing left foot, uh, could play left side and right side, always popped up uh, with important goals for United, could take a free kick, regularly took penalties. Um, was an 8 out of 10 every week. And in those early days of, of United's dominance, you know, Ferguson had a team where everybody was 8 out of 10 every week. And, and Irwin epitomised that for me. Um, so he was a pro's pro and, um, and a brilliant footballer. And I think he kind of deserves a lot more, I guess, a lot more recognition and a lot more um, remembrance in the public eye than he tends to get. Also, yeah, one of the uh, just at the uh, unusual um, ability as well. One of the only Man United players from that era that wasn't wildly disliked by the other football fans. Dennis Owen t- seemed to avoid most of that kind of opprobrium, despite playing well, pretty much for the whole decade. Well, he didn't act like a knob, did he? He just got on with his game. He's he's got that, you know. I guess what Arsenal are seeing with Kieran Tierney right now, he's just someone that gets on the pitch and bloody gets on with it, which sometimes is very refreshing. You know, you want to see that with people. You know, it's someone that goes out there, plays football, because he he loves to play football, gets on with it, not loud mouth, not, you know, giving it all that, just going out there and doing a really good job every week. You know, which is really what you want from a fullback, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, you, you, you could really say the same about Gary Neville, couldn't you? In a lot of ways, you know, it's pretty much what he did. 
I mean, not unpopular for various reasons. <laughs> I think Neville said actually that that watching Paul Parker and Dennis Irwin when he was a trainee coming through was like such an influential part of um, of his career. I remember him saying that he was really nervous about being the successor to Paul Parker because Parker had been so brilliant in that kind of you know ninety two to ninety five type of um, type of time frame. But yeah, I just think I just think like those. Um, those kinds of players are so are so underrated. I think there's that there's that line, isn't it? I forget who said it. I don't know if it's um, I think it was it was either Pirlo or Platini. I can't quite remember. But it was a bit like you know who wants to be the right back. It's like the the, play, the position that nobody wants to be, um, kind of the least glamorous. And now people like Trent Alexander Arnold and um, and company are just uh, are making full back the kind of glamour position. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've you've got to look at Trent. Trent's got to be in for a shout soon in 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 that position. When you look at what he's achieved already, yeah, it's just it's kind of he can now and again still get quite badly exposed um, defensively. So yeah. he's not there defensively yet. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he develops in that respect. Actually, um, okay, let's so centre halves. Pete, we, you've already spoiled yours, so. Apart from the obvious reasons of the back four being a unit, is it Adams and Bold you've gone for, Adams and Keogh? No, it was Bold I, I picked. I mean, Adams obviously writes himself, and he was in there even when I was thinking of taking the four best players. I was, you've still got to actually consider Adams as possibly one of the centre-backs then. But no, um, yeah, I chose Bold to go with him because I think there is that... Uh, the better Arsenal side defensively has them kind of swapping in and out. It's kind of the end of, of bold. Uh, so I kind of, I suppose I went for that because of the, the earlier end, the more four four two end, the longevity, all those kind of reasons. Yeah. No, I mean, Adams, Adams is, um, such, such a kind of incredible figure for his leadership, um, for his bravery, for, the way he marshaled that back four, he was the leader of that back four. He was the leader of a, a very, very good football team, um, both under Graham and that that kind of first team under Wenger as well. And um, was always, it, despite you know my club loyalty being on the opposite side of North London, just always somebody that that I admired. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't need to <laughs> talk about how much I love Tony Adams. Oh, this is a really tough position for me, and I'm, I'm still debating it now. Uh, I've initially gone with a, a duo, and uh, I'm still not sure. Um, One of the names uh, that I was thinking of, when I, again, I was thinking of the first four, was um, uh, Rio Ferdinand, and I'm just interested to know if that's actually ended up in anybody's team. Has anyone gone for Rio? No, I I've not. No, I could never, I, I could never I get on with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I've looked at it like this. I think you need a leader at, at the back. That that one guy, you know, uh, uh, an Adams, so to speak, and then you need the, the player next to him who's maybe a little bit more cultured. I've gone for. <laughs> no, I can't do it. Fuck off, John Terry. Uh, I've gone for Tony Adams. <laughs> I was very close on John Terry because you know he he, he epitomised that that great 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 you know long run for 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 Chelsea. But you know 
obviously even more unlikable than, than <laughs> Ashley in there. But yeah, he had his kit on, man, his... and now you've binned yeah. him off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Couldn't, can't believe it. I'm going for Tony Adams and There's Our Company. Oh, okay. That's a really interesting I'm one, actually. A little bit out of left field here. You know, maybe not so obvious, but maybe it should be obvious. I mean, he soldiered that city side in recent years. And I think some of it is I will have a bias, as anyone that listens to this podcast knows, for the for, for, for the 90s and, and earlier noughties. So... I just think, you know, watching from a little bit further away, he's someone that, that kind of led that Manchester City team and marshalled it from the back. And uh, I just think he did a really, really good job there, you know. And that's where I, I, I'd consider putting him up against a, you know, a Rio or, 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 or someone like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm going company and Adams. Yeah, company, when you look at when he joined City... Like, he joined City, I think, the season where they got the money. And he was kind of... He came in that summer. almost. I think he came in almost just before the money came in. Uh, he cost not very much money. And he just went on to be such a key figure in that great spine of that team. You know, him, well, Joe Hart, him, Yaya Torre, Aguero, David Silva. Like, that core of that side that stayed together for a really long time and, and completely transformed City's fortunes. And, you know, whenever company didn't play, even right at the end of his career, when he was a walking injury, they were, they were bad. City, City were never good defensively when company didn't play. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that only now, this season, when Stones and Diaz have suddenly formed this amazing partnership, does City look solid defensively again? Um, it's no coincidence. Yeah, it's one of those interesting things. I think he's one of those guys. I think he it's probably very similar to what Gallas was for Chelsea. And I was hoping he'd be for us. And then he just kind of went mental later in his career. But, you know, Gallas was Gallas made Chelsea so much better when he was in that team, you know. And, yeah, I, I just think, yeah. So he's there a bit, a bit of the heart of that defense like, like Terry. But, you know, that. Uh, a, a bit more to him than, than just the classic centre half. You get a second leader in there as well. You know, you don't have to choose between a leader and a cultured player. You can sort of, mm. have, you can have someone a bit more old school and a cultured player and have two leaders simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, with, with that, it means Tony Adams can run upfield and, and score score on those goals like he did against Everton every now and then. <laughs> well, company. Well, yeah, the, the Gary Neville commentary. Where do you want your statue, Vincent Company? <laughs> uh, when he bangs one in from miles away. Um, so mine is a bit. It, this is quite left field, I have to say. Um, my partnership, but but it's also, I think, two of the the best pure defenders the Premier League has seen. And two players that, that that were actually very good on the ball too. So I've gone for Paul McGrath and uh, Ricardo Carvalho. Um, I I think you know McGrath obviously had what you might consider to be probably the best defensive season anybody's had in the Premier League um, when he was Player of the Year in that Villa season that we talked about very recently. Um, 
and of course also heroics for Ireland um, during the same kind of period of time. And as we talked about, from a, a pure defensive point of view, positioning, marking, uh, anticipation, reading the game, you know, there was no one like him. He was just fantastic. He was the Irish Beresi. Um And then Carvalho, I've always just felt, is one of those footballers who is just hugely, hugely underrated and underappreciated. Because, yes, John Terry is the man you associate with that with that Mourinho-Chelsea team and, um, you know, and the Ancelotti-Chelsea team and, um, you know, maybe not some of the subsequent ones so much. Carvalho, though, was, I think just as important like their partnership was was great and he was the you know he was the kind of um the more culture of the two but he was just a really really good defender and somebody that Mourinho brought in um that he knew well um from Portugal and and actually was just straight away hit the ground running in the Premier League and I just always thought he was a top top class centre-half you know, I think the only thing that ever really counted against Carvalho was uh, fairly early on, uh, maybe not the first season, because I seem to remember him uh, doing quite well then. But maybe early in the second season, there was a bit of a dip in form and everyone started to say, well, how good is he? You know, they've paid all this money and maybe you've only got one season out of him. And eventually proved that wrong. But you sometimes wonder if that reputations when you get them are quite hard to shift. And maybe that's why he wasn't held in quite the same esteem, because he was brilliant when he was on form. And he was on form more often than not. And when he left Chelsea, he went to Real Madrid. And not exactly bastions of great defence, but you don't go there unless you're a serious player, regardless of the position. So, yeah, it's obviously a a great pick. And if I had gone down the Chelsea route, he would have been one of the the four that I would have picked, along with, uh, I guess it would have been... Um, Gallas on at left back, Terry, and I t- who would have been right back, Paulo Ferreira, I guess. Ferreira, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic player, so composed on the ball, which I guess is why he's a bit more of a Real Madrid signing. And again, they bought Jonathan Woodgate, so you know, who knows who's in charge of Real Madrid's uh, defending. <laughs> Defend. Mr. Mr. No Hamstrings would get. It would have been a brilliant player if it had some hamstrings. Would have been. He, he might be. He yeah. might have been in contention here. To be honest, he was one of those players that um, could have been. Are anyone else worth a shout? I mean, Yapstam at his point. Some some centre half that player. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, Yapstam's a big a big miss actually, isn't he? Uh, but I guess the problem with Yapstam is is that uh, at a certain point when you spent like the whole of the 90s and the early 2000s hating Man United, it gets to a point where you're like, I've got way too many Man United players in this 11. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's like, I look at mine, I'm just like, I've got the United players everywhere in this and I couldn't stand them. I think this is, it, even though they were a more popular team with the neutrals in some way, I think the same thing kind of counts against Vidic, who would be another contender for that leader role. Uh, you've this, this, when you've got that many Man United players in, and there are alternatives to picking the Man Vidic, you go somewhere else. And I, I don't think he would get in ahead of some of the names we've mentioned anyway, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, the other thing is, I mean, I, I think probably I thought a lot about Jamie Carragher as well. Um, mm. I, I think Carragher... Again, consistency-wise, his leadership, um, you know, and purely as a, you know, as a pure defender, you know, uh, I just think he was brilliant. And, you know, uh, it's interesting with England, you know, because they they favoured, first of all, they favoured Ferdinand and Campbell, and then they favoured 
um, Ferdinand and Terry. And I, I kind of always, it's one of those things where like Ferdinand and Terry were maybe the best two players, but were they the best partnership? And it's that question that actually you brought up with your back four being the Arsenal back four is that maybe mm. international managers don't always think about that enough. Mm. I suppose the one thing that kept them in, in the shirts was that they never really put too much of a foot wrong to be dropped. It's not like the midfield issue where we knew there was a problem and it should have been solved. Uh, and that was really something you can batter Sven with in hindsight. The Terry and Ferdinand may not have been as good as they were with uh, Vidic and with Carvalho, but they kind of muddled on. And again, maybe it would have been better with somebody else in there. As we saw um you know, John Terry had had a better season than Ledley King in 2004, but Sol Campbell played better with Ledley King than John Terry did in that tournament, as as one example. Exactly. Yeah, uh, just to touch on, obviously, I, I love your other pick of Paul McGrath. I'm not allowed to choose him. <laughs> Too much homer, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if I, if I was allowed to choose it, it would be Paul McGrath and Martin Larson, probably. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I am banned, but I love the selection, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think anyone that watched football in, in 92, 93, 93, 94, you know, McGrath was just, he was something else. And um, anyone younger listening to this, I, I would uh, encourage you to seek out some videos of Paul McGrath because uh, he was he was just absolutely brilliant. Um, all right. So we're into the uh, into the midfield then. Um, so uh, let's start with the uh, the right mid and the and the left uh, mid are. Jinking wingers, plenty of choices here over the years of the Premier League. Uh, let's start with uh, we we'll start with those. So, uh, Pete, your turn. Yeah, um, I've tried to put off too much Man United for the reasons that we've just outlined, but I had to give way here, and it's unfortunately it's a Man United pair, and it's from the the team from the nineties that I despised. It's David Beckham on the right and Ryan Giggs on the left. Uh, I think. Giggs in some ways sort of picks himself unless there's there's only another couple of names I can really credibly put in the equation. Um, I'm willing to bet if you haven't gone for Ryan Giggs, there's a decent chance you've gone for Gareth Bale or um, Mark Overmars maybe at a push, uh, maybe one or two other names. But um, the right wing was more of, more of an issue. I found Giggs on the left quite straightforward. Eventually I went for Beckham. Uh, for longevity, for uh, the variety of different things he can offer, the fact he can play with and has played with all sorts of different forwards as a provider, still one of the all-time assist leaders in the Premier League. And so many of the other alternatives that I was thinking of putting in there came later. And they were often playing in more like a 4-3-3. And I did want to stick very close to the 4-4-2 brief. So that eventually brought me down to a choice between Beckham and someone who was more of a kind of pace merchants down that flank someone like Andre Kanchelskis entered the frame but eventually I went for the the proven commodity over a longer period of time in Beckham interesting uh, I I find I found this to be the hardest positions to pick uh what do you go for you know if you're talking about you know Premier League legacy, you cannot overlook Giggs, but I, no, I find Giggs a bit boring, to be honest with you. Um, it, it, it's a boring choice. I've never, never been as high on Beckham as a lot of people. You know, fantastic free kick, fantastic delivery, you know, but uh, as a player all round, I, I think maybe it's one of those players whose brand is a little bit bigger than 
his uh, you know actual level of play. And not, that's not to say that he's bad. Don't get me wrong there. Um, I, I probably made the strangest choices you're ever going to hear here, and I, I I went through so many people, and I'm changing my mind as I speak. Actually, I'm, I've changed my mind. Uh, I'm 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 going back home. I'm going Robert Perez and Cristiano Ronaldo. Perez is who I've just changed my mind on. I had Hazard in there, and my logic behind Hazard was he, you know, was kind of the, he, he was the best player in that those late that later Chelsea teams for me, and you know he was. The type of player he was—he was your top guy of the team that won, went on to win the league. But I've just changed my mind and gone to Perez because he won two titles and may not have been the top guy, but he was so good in 2002 and 2004 that you know you can't actually look past him. I mean, you know, Ronaldo speaks for himself. I'm a notorious hater of the guy, and I long to see him cry at every opportunity and see him fail. But you know that. Short, no, not overly short stint that he had in 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 England. He was just so dominant and probably not even at his peak at that point. Uh, I just think you know for skill, excitement, quality, those, those are the two for me. You know, those I, are the two for me. I completely forgot Ronaldo existed. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually hilarious when you think about it um, but obviously I, like I, did, I was just going to say I didn't forget he existed but I remember kind of thinking how much of him as a winger are we, did we see at his best that was the main reason I didn't go down that route uh, yeah I guess the thing was is that, that, that when he became the best player in arguably the best player in Europe during those two it's the two last seasons of United I actually think, though, that was him at his peak. I know he went to Madrid and scored bags of goals after that. But in in terms of him being that player that could just do anything that he wanted, because when he went to Madrid, really, he kind of ended up becoming more of a, a kind of straightforward centre forward in a, in a lot of ways. And certainly at Juve now, he's basically just a number nine. Whereas when he was at United, he basically just turned up everywhere on the pitch. Um, those last couple of seasons and he was playing a very free role and and he would pop up on the left he would turn up in the middle he'd turn up on the right and Tevez and Rooney were that front three was just incredible in that team because they just interchanged with each other so smoothly they would just switch positions all of the time and it was pretty a pretty incredible thing to watch and his numbers in those two seasons were just out of this world really and some of the goals that he scored were just just ridiculous but i think as pete says like his early days is a kind of um step over uh utilizing right winger um were kind of not as dominant as when he was just kind of playing more of a free role so i guess it's on a on a bit of a technicality but certainly uh i, I feel a bit foolish for a forgotten that the man <laughs> having forgotten that the man existed for a, uh, a period of time and um, perez i actually thought really long and hard about putting perez in um uh, ultimately, I, I didn't because I went with the Homer pick. But, um, but you know, Perez was a brilliant, brilliant player. And he was Football of the Year, um, Football Writers Player of the Year um, in the... Was that the... It was the 
first title that he won. He was the Football Writers Player of the Year, wasn't he? Not the Invincible season. I guess so too. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was Player of the Year that year, and he got a bad injury, didn't he? Right at the end of that season. Uh, end of the season. Yeah. Um. But he he was absolutely just just phenomenal. Um. Such a good player to watch, and so intelligent. Um. You know, again, it's one of those great ironies, isn't it? He was such a kind of um, Tottenham type of player playing for us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I went with Bale uh, for the obvious reason that I, you know, I needed at least one homer pick in there. Um, and he, again, had one of the most dominant seasons in Premier League history. Uh, the Andre Villas-Boas season, Bale was completely unplayable won so many games by himself i guess you got the caveat again that although uh although he was um although he was playing uh on the uh on the left hand side he, he very much was turning up wherever he fancied turning up really at the end of that time um but yeah bale converted left back became after after ronaldo and messi he was the third most sought after player um, in Europe, and although his career has gone in a very odd direction, um, you know, over the past couple of years, like those peak couple of years at Spurs in the first year or two at Madrid, he was unbelievable. He, he done, he done it all, really, didn't he? You know, and he was, he was actually in there amongst my choices. You know, uh, yeah, still, like I say, it's a strange one. You'd say it's a strange bunch of choices, but it was, you know, these are all like. Uh, Player of the Year winners, you know, in 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 Bale, Perez, Hazard, um, you know, Ronaldo, and I did have a long a long hard think about Ginola as well. Yeah, Ginola, I mean, how could you not? Yeah, exactly. You got to think about Ginola, haven't you? On the right hand side, I went. I, I did. I did go for Kanchalskis, uh, and I know that he doesn't have a longevity, but in terms of who was really really exciting to watch. And I know we did, we did a whole episode on the '94 um, double winning United team. Like Andre Kanchelskis was just just brilliant to watch. Like the pace and the directness and the goals that he scored and the assists that he made. You know, I don't. You know, it's funny, isn't it? When I watch uh, when I watch Mo Salah, I, I think of Kanchelskis. No, not the same build or anything, but in terms of what they offered. Um, it's, it's actually quite similar um, and he was just brilliant to watch and he was great at Everton as well to be fair like he, he I know that Ferguson ended up uh, moving him out to kind of um, I guess accommodate Beckham more than anything else but uh, he he was very good at Everton too so um, you know I, I kind of went with that as a sentimental pick because he was just a player that, that was brilliant to watch over admittedly a shorter period of time but um, uh, just, just the way that he, he kind of Tore defenses to pieces was was great to watch. Yeah, I'm 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 not against that pick at all. I'm a big fan of Kuchelskis. Just like you say, electric to watch. You know, you just you you just have visions of him running at defenses and cutting inside, cutting back outside again. You know, it's just that that pace and and you know almost not powerful so to speak but he was like a train you know it was like you get out of the way because he's going past you yeah he he, he was kind of I, I guess as well defenses of the time you know like uh they just weren't 
I guess you didn't have the litany of international stars in Premier League defences, <laughs> you know, in, in 1994. So um, it, he did particularly expose a lot of uh, a lot of fullbacks. The electric is is the word that people have used when it comes to Kanchalskis, and it's it's the best word you can. He was uh, mesmerising in a way that very few players were at that point in time. Uh, a lot of the names that have come up. Kachowskis is a bit of an exception to some of the others. I did think of lots of the names. Uh, again, it was really sticking to that four four two strategy and mindset and thinking of wingers who would play in a four four two that was why I didn't go in, in the direction of, say, a Hazard or or so or, or a David Silva, let's say. Um, because obviously this this is one of the positions that has changed the most and almost biases you towards the nineteen nineties. In a strong sense, so that's uh, again why I ended up with. I think you end up with Beckham and Giggs as possibilities, because uh, or, or um, Konchelskis and and some of these other names, because they dominated that period so so much. Um, from in in Giggs' case, I suppose you would probably point to the earlier part of the nineties when he had that electric pace and that turn, and he was considered the most exciting young talent in the Premier League. And in Beckham, I, I suppose you would go for the period between the 98 and 2002 World Cups. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly one of the positions that has changed the most. And I had to give it a lot of thought with that in mind. Yeah. Centre midfield was a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting as well, because in a 4-4-2, you know, nowadays this idea that you need a holding player that didn't really exist in the mid nineties. So, you know, when you were looking at four four twos, you know, I mean, I, I it's really always really funny watching uh, Sky Sports coverage because Graham Souness gets really annoyed at pure holding players. He's like, "Oh, what are you doing? You don't shoot, you don't assist. You know, what's what's, what's, what's your job on the side?" Because <laughs> in Souness's mindset, a midfielder should be somebody that does everything like he did, and he doesn't like this idea of specialization. Um, and and so, you know, in, in, in that sense, it's kind of when I was looking at the central midfield, I was I did think for, for a, a moment I was doing it. Oh, it's not it's a bit maybe it's not defensive enough. But then you just think, actually, that's not what a 442 is meant to be anyway. Um, so, you know, it kind of makes those picking those certain midfields a bit more of a kind of bit more of a free choice, as long as you're not being cheeky and sticking a number 10 in midfield or something. Yeah, and just to move us into this, the centre midfield kind of discussion a bit, I suppose that's one of the things I did think of was initially you take a Claude McAuley, he's a very interesting footballer, and do you put him in with the idea that it then lets your other midfielder go out and play? And uh, eventually I decided against it because he did that job incredibly well, probably better than anybody else we've seen in, in history, to, in Premier League history, to the point where we named the role after him. But it also was part of a 4-3-3 that had two other players uh, in the midfield to go out and do some more of that creative work. So, so eventually I, I thought, well, no, we won't go with McAuley because we never, we, we didn't see him in a 4-4-2 in the Premier League, often, if at all. Uh, so you settle into more of a traditional-looking side, or at least that's what I've gone for. Right. Yeah, no, no entirely. So, um, Maz, I think it's your turn to go first. Right. Well, you know, I think central midfield... You know, it's going to be your usual suspects, isn't it? And everyone's got a preference on the usual suspects. If if anyone plays Gerard and Lampard together, however, I think you're banned from next week's show because you can't do that. No, yeah, uh, that's been proved. Um, no, Keane Vieira, 
not even a second of doubt in my mind for me. Keen, Vieira, all day long. And, you know, I get the arguments for lots of other people. You know, I certainly get the arguments for Skulls. I certainly get the arguments for Gerard and, and, you know, Lampard and a, a, a few more uh, in there. You know, even, like you say, the Makaleles or, or, you know, arguably Kante, who who did it to the same level later on. But for me, it's Keane and Vieira, the most comp- absolute complete midfielders who sometimes are looked at as more defensive. But, you know, when they were more defensive, that's because of who they were playing with in the team. When they were playing next to someone who was a bit more defensively minded, both were, were fantastic going forward. Both absolute box-to-box midfielders, two players who will give you absolutely everything, game in, game out, and, you know, chances are one of them's going to get sent off, so the other one's in there to, to cover them. Two of the most dominant players, aren't they? I mean, their battles together are, you know, are, are kind of legendary, um, absolutely legendary. Their, tu- you know, their, their tunnel interactions and those, those blood and thunder Arsenal United games were just something that we'll never see again um, sadly um, you know you watch that Arsenal United game from the other day and it's just worlds away um, truly worlds away from from uh, the peak of that Wenger-Ferguson rivalry and those two were you know at each other for the entire 90 minutes um, and also very um, I mean I think people forget how good they both were on the ball um and uh, and how good they were popping up in goal scoring positions. Actually, Keane scored a lot yeah. of important goals for United and important goals as well. You know, both of them scored important goals. You know, they might not have scored loads of goals from midfield. You know, certainly not to the level of a of a Lampard. You know, or or even you know a Gerrard or or anyone else. But important goals when they popped up the goals, they were usually important, very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 I mean, I always think of Keane. I always think of the Juve game, you know, when he knew that he wouldn't play uh, in the final and he basically dragged United back into the game pretty much single-handedly. Um, during the first lockdown, I actually watched, um, I watched that semi-final uh, again, like it's on, it's on YouTube. Um, and it is an epic performance from Keane. It, it really, really is. I mean, I think it's one of those, if you could have them both at their peak and play them in the first two, three years of the Premier League, you probably wouldn't lose a game. Um, I didn't go quite that route because uh, I think there is... Taking the Premier League in the round, I think there is a way to get a little bit more flair in uh, alongside uh, them. But I think you have to take one or the other, certainly. it's It'd be a very weird side that didn't have one of them in from that Premier League era if you're playing a 4-4-2 because you have the two dominant teams and you have the kind of, I don't know what you call it, the metronome kind of, if you like, for, for each one of those teams in a 4-4-2. Like every other really dominant team hasn't played this formation. So, yeah, um, just for the record, over the two, I think there's a Rizzler between them. I think you can take either of them. It doesn't matter which almost did, you know, each one, each pick is respectable. I went for Vieira. Yeah, it's, it's it's again like you say, it's 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 if you're going to choose one or the other, it's it's actually incredibly it's an incredibly difficult um, uh, 
choice, isn't it? Um, I think probably Vieira is the one that's... He's obviously less combustible in a dressing room, you know what I mean? He's not going to walk out of a World Cup or <laughs> whatever. No, not going to walk out in a World Cup. And um, I don't know, I sort of think that... There's something in the back of my head that had the idea that, yeah, you want a 4-4-2, but I wanted there to be some sort of idea that they could probably carry on competing um, against more modern sides or if you were to overload the midfield with 4-3-3s and 4-5-1s and all that kind of thing. And I I don't know, I get the feeling that the, the Roy Keane that wasn't just a defensive midfielder was a more traditional box-to-box player. And I've got this idea, this inkling in the back of my head that's sort of served as a tiebreaker above and beyond the fact I just like Vieira more, that Vieira may have been more able to play in the later era had he been younger. And I don't know, maybe that's just an inkling, just an idea. I don't know. But that was what eventually made me uh, go go for him over, over Keane. So um, did you take one of them, Neil? I actually didn't know. <laughs> Funny enough, I, I went with the I went I went with the cultured uh, midfield. Uh, so I went with Skulls and Modric. Basically, your idea is never, to, never, never to lose the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah essentially. But I, it's funny because I just thought, right, you know, uh, I, I decided not to go for a kind of a bulldog uh, in there. Um, I had to pick Skulls because I think, again, probably one of my favourite players over a, a really long period of time. Um, and if he's Zidane and Xavi's favourite player, that's probably good enough for me. Um, and then Modric, um, again, just I had to pick at least a couple of Spurs players. And, and, and Modric, um, one of the biggest pleasures of my life was seeing uh, Modric spraying passes around White Hart Lane um, and dictating the pace of a game. Um, I think he's one of the best ever at doing that. And he wasn't even at his peak at Spurs. Obviously, he goes to Madrid and, and hit even greater heights. But Harry Redknapp took a, a wispy number 10 from the Croatian League and turned him into a world-class number eight. Um, and he was, he was absolutely fantastic uh, for Spurs. Just, you know, ran the show for that Red Nat team, scored absolute bangers, um, never lost the ball, close control. He was just such a lovely footballer to watch, still is a lovely footballer to watch. Um, so that's the way I went. And so, you know, Skulls would probably get himself sent off trying to be the tackler in that team. <laughs> now I think about it. Yeah, he, can get, he can get in there, Skullsy. You know, he's not... Oh, know, he's got the yellow pass to prove it. is he? But, you know, I mean, he's not afraid of a bit of dirty work, is he? I mean, he's not afraid of it. He just used to miss yeah. by a mile. He was the trouble. notoriously dirty player, Skulls, wasn't he, considering how, how classy he was. Um, but, yeah, no, so that, that's the way that I went. I mean, it's certainly a, a classy side. I mean, I went a very different route, I guess. I suppose my my other centre midfielder, the pairing uh, with Vieira, is the only player that's kind of outstanding. And I, I don't know why, I've got a feeling I'm going to get booed around me here, but I did go for Frank Lampard, um, which is obviously... Uh, yeah, I was, I was exactly what I was expecting. I, I don't think he's the nah, best. I, I don't um, mean it. I don't think he's the best midfielder or, or the, most, the, best, the most talented footballer in in many might be the better way of putting it. I think there are all sorts of players that you could make a case for as saying they were better players in terms of their natural ability. But, but for whatever reason, and I think a lot had to do with just that 
desire and that work rate and that thing of well, what will be useful in a match situation. He ended up being the most effective midfielder in Premier League history in some ways. Uh, you know, his goal record is as good as a striker's. His, you know, assists are off the chart. Um, I think the only midfielder who compares with him assist-wise, because a lot of them, um, in terms of playing the roughly broad, uh, similar amount of seasons, I think, is uh, Fabregas. And, yeah, it's, it's just... I. <laughs> There's all sorts of alternatives that you could take. And I think, you know, I, I would rather watch Paul Scholes if we're talking about a thing of you do want to put together a beautiful side. But if you were putting together a great side that would win a lot of games, you just want Frank Lampard hitting that ball, scuffing it into the net from 18 yards out, as he did almost as a matter of routine. And that's really kind of why I went for him. It's not always about being the best player. Um, Steven Gerrard was a more talented footballer, but he never delivered on the field to quite the same degree. Um, so that's why I went for Lampard in the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, currency in football is goals and assists, isn't it? And in terms of that, he, you, you can't argue with Lampard. You know, he knew where that goal was. You know, he, he might not be... Uh, I, I guess it's the type of player that gets underappreciated. You know, certainly when you compare the absolute, you know, fantastic players around him at the time, you know, he he wouldn't be my pick as someone you'd want to watch. But, you know, a lot of the work he did was, was getting into positions, finding the ball, doing 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 the short pass and getting into that, that position where he needs to be to bang one in or find someone who's in in that position to bang one in. He he did things simply. He made he made things look effortless, mm. you know, in, in a way. He didn't do anything uh, it's not really the word that I'm going for, you know, that that, that kind of says more on Aldini and he's a polar opposite. You know, he 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 was just there. He was a thinking man's footballer, I guess, is is the type of Type of thing I'm getting at here. He's not, he's not the flair player. He's not the guy that's going to do 16 step overs, but he's going to be effective. Yeah, and he didn't have the passing range of some of these peers either. But I suppose it's a little bit like the Beckham thing. You know, the right wing. He wasn't the most attractive right winger. He wasn't even the most attractive right winger to play for Man United that we've seen in our lifetimes. Never mind in the whole Premier League. But he was good for 15 to 20 goals between goals and assists pretty much every year he played for Man United as a senior pro. The only half dozen people to score more in the Premier League than than Lampard are, you know, the Alan Shearers, the Andy Coles. He scored more than Robbie Fowler, than Les Ferdinand, than Teddy Sheringham, than Jermaine Defoe. All bar about three Premier League strikers, you have to say. he From midfield, he outscored all those legends. And that's before you factor in his assist rate. Uh, so, yeah, nothing he did looked particularly pretty. You can't think back to something he did where you say, oh, that was, you know, that was really a good look. And there was, no, there was nothing of the George Best about him, but he, he worked so very hard. And it was all in his brain. He, and, he got the very most out of his talent, you know. That's always Lampard's... Yeah. Um, calling card was that you know he he made the absolute most of himself um mm. and i always think of him as being like a supercharged david platt and platt was similarly underappreciated because 
you know, you'd watch a game of football and you'd think, what's Platt done in this game? And then he'd pop up and he'd score a goal. And in that kind of Graham Taylor England side, David Platt was always the player that, that, that you'd look to to, uh, to get England something. He didn't always, like, you know, dominate a game or, you know, outpass somebody in midfield. But when it came to arriving in the box and being in the right place, he was always there. And, and Lampard was that and a lot more because he also had a range of passing that maybe wasn't Gerrard level but wasn't far off. Um, and he had, uh, you know, that box-to-box midfield's instinct for getting in the box and scoring goals. So, you know, I guess the thing with Lampard is that I, I just, I, I find him probably more dislikable than most footballers ever. There's just a, always been, <laughs> I don't know, like a kind of horrible, arrogant aura around his post-match interviews that I've never got on very well with. Um, and, and even more so when he became a manager, kind of could not stand him um, as, a, as a manager at all. Uh, but obviously, you know, he you can't deny his record or his success, you know, as part of the spine of that of that great Chelsea team. Um, you know, numbers, the numbers of, of goals from midfield is, is absolutely absurd um, for a midfielder over that period of time. And we're still doing it in a Man City shirt like as a guy that could barely run. <laughs> so, you know, you have to factor all of that in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's that mind frame. It's almost, you know, I, I know not not the same position, but very, very Teddy-esque in, 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 in that sense, you know, just just very smart, knew where to be, always knew where to be. So I, I think we're on to uh, onto the strikers then. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how people have gone here, because I guess when you think about the Premier League, the the number nines and the number tens over the Premier League era, there are so many that were so good <laughs> that it almost becomes just a case of who you liked, I think. I guess if you're purely going on numbers, there's two obvious answers, but uh, I guess we'll see uh, which way people have landed. So, um, uh, Maz, uh, have you gone pure gooner here? I'm sorry, Dennis. I'm sorry, Dennis. My num my number nine and my number ten are actually a number seven and a number fourteen. Canton and Henri. It's uh, I love Dennis, and as much as I want to put Dennis in there, I just can't, can't, can't ignore the impact that Eric Cantona had on the league. And uh, you know, as great number nine goal scorers they've been, you know. It's Henri. It's got to be. Uh, so, yeah, definite French flair going on there. Um, but, yeah, I for me, it, it's the best striker in, in the league and, you know, the guy that transformed the league and transformed Man United. Yeah, there's no more influential player in, in Premier League history. I mean, you know, essentially Cantona... Cantona writes the history of the Premier League, doesn't he? When he joins from Leeds, as we discussed, it's a big sliding doors moment. You know, Villa might easily have won, uh, have won the title that year. Um, and it's his influence that gets United over the line. Um, and then he's there for them in every big moment, right up until the point where he leaves. And the title that they don't win um, <laughs> is when... He's not around to uh, to assist them, so it's it's very much um, 
very much the case that, that his his pure influence on that side is something you just you cannot discount. And I think we talked about this when we looked at the ninety four United side. People forget how good he was. It isn't just an upturned collar and the strut and the you know and the stare and the weird press conferences. He wasn't a meme, you know. He was a, a really amazing footballer, um, and he he scored ridiculous goals. But he also scored tap-ins. Uh, he has, you know, he had that knack for an assist. Dropped into space where defenders didn't want to go. He was doing all of those all those things. So I think it's easy to forget what a good player he was, as well as the aura and as well as the influence. Yeah, no one would care about what he did if he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't as good as he was. You know, all, all the all the stuff at you know at Palace and all the rubbish he came out with. You know, it, if he was rubbish, it'd just be Marco Boogers part two, <laughs> part one. You know, he he's just out and out of this world talent, Cantona. You know, just he's got touch. He can bang, like you say, he can bang one in from thirty yards. He can tap one in from two yards. He's a complete centre forward, you know. He could play number nine, he could play number ten, he could play number seven, you know, whatever whatever that is, you know. But he can play in deep, up top, you know, wherever you need him, he'll be there and he'll do the job. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those picks at all, is there? I mean, it's fantastic choices. Um, I think the only trouble at all it's not even a problem with the picks it's just that there are so many options uh and so for me this was the hardest choice harder than the wingers where i had a fairly clear idea of what i wanted them to do and how i was going to go about doing it even though that ruled out lots of good options because i think a lot of the better winger options are these four three threes of the modern era you know Arjen robin for example um up front there's no way of cutting through that you have to make some some very hard decisions and a lot of really great players have played in 4-4-2s up front, different types of 4-4-2. And then it becomes, do you pick the best two? Do you think about how they might have played together? Uh, all those kind of questions. Do you assume that if they're that kind of quality operators that they would have always been able to play together? And I think I could do this different times and come up with a different answer every single time. Um, Ronaldo was probably in the mix for me because I think at United he was at his best as a forward, um, popping up around everywhere, as you said earlier on. But um, really, he was the one with the license to be central and Tevez and Rooney worked around him. Um, I remember actually doing something similar to this a few years ago, and I, I decided I was going to be very left field that day. And I ended up picking a duo of... Alan Shearer and Gianfranco Zola as the nine and ten. And I've... is that left field? I don't think so. I think you know they're both locking top threes for their positions. In my mind, I don't know Zola was... as a ten and and Shearer as a nine. Well, it was taken as, as left field at the time, put it that way by people. But I've gone and surprised myself. Was it me? Think... It sounds like the type of thing that I'd just <laughs> rib you about for the sake of it. It may well have been. Um... <laughs> I mean, but I've surprised myself because years later I haven't picked either of them this time, and I'll probably pick something else if we decide to do this years down the line. I'll, I'll probably come up with I don't know, Les Ferdinand and somebody else. I don't know, but um, 
I decided that I was going to somewhat ignore the numbers a little bit and that immediately put Shearer on the back foot because his his obvious claim is 260 Premier League goals. Once you go beyond stats, he doesn't necessarily command the same place that he may have done. And I always preferred watching some other strikers instead. And I decided to let my heart rule my head a little bit. And the striker I enjoyed watching the most that didn't play for Villa, because again, I'm barred. So the striker that I enjoyed watching the most of that whole Premier League era is Thierry Henry. And then I was thinking, well, I need to find someone who will fit in alongside Henry coming in off that left side that he used to do. And I suppose, I mean, I've, I've made the choices that you would expect Maz to make, because in the end, I thought the obvious choice is to go with the guy who did play with him and played and showed that it worked and was such an attractive footballer in his own right. And I ended up with Henri and Bergkamp. You just picked an Arsenal 11. What's going on here? <laughs> I, well, I mean, to be honest, if you look at it, other than um, the two wingers and Frank Lampard, it is basically, oh, and the goalkeeper. Yeah, it is. There's about six Arsenal players here, but. I suppose a lot of that is because I'm not allowed to pick my own players. And the minute you look at the Premier League in the kind of era, the 4-4-2 era we talked about, you have to pick Man United players or Arsenal players. And I knew more Man United fans who were assholes, so I liked Arsenal. If you had to choose one of them to win the league, you were always back in Arsenal. So I've got more of a soft spot for them when it comes down to it. And some, when you get to this level... There ain't much to split these players. It all comes no, down to preference. Not. So I think that's behind it, really. Uh, you could just as easily make a case for uh, Eric Cantona and, I don't know, I mean, Cantona and Shearer would be quite a duo, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Oof. I wouldn't want to be a centre-half going up against them, would you? Uh, so I went for Bergkamp as well. Um, as I've said, like to watch Bergkamp is one of my favourite footballers ever elegance grace imagination saw things nobody else could see would rather make an assist than score a goal but when he did score a goal it was never a tapping <laughs> just just a, a wonderful player to watch like the most dutch of all dutch footballers um but also you know now and again got sent off for an elbow uh, or a stamp or something ridiculous like that like he was just he was just amazingly, amazingly fun to watch, but um, but brilliant, you yeah, know, brilliant as well. And even as an old man, he would he would just do things that was, you know, that you just took your breath away. And now and again, you know, I love it when you have these uh, clips that surface on social media sometimes of, of like, uh, you know, old players playing five a side or playing a charity game or something. And I saw one with Bergkamp recently. Uh, where he like scored from the halfway line, <laughs> just like oh he still got it then. Um, yeah, don't surprise me. It really don't. Although my favourite one of those was the uh, the Totty one, where he was playing five aside and somebody decided to like rainbow flick it over Totty's head. And so the very next yeah. play, the keeper puts it out to Totty, and Totty scores from like his own half. Oh, tremendous. Um. You know, yeah, you come at the king, you best not miss. Um, but yeah, I've gone for Bergkamp, but to go alongside him, and I had several drafts of this. In the end, I went with Robbie Fowler. Um, Ooh, interesting. And I think I mean, 
if we go back to Fowler at his absolute peak, and I suppose this is an, another iteration of the David De Gea um, the conversation we had earlier on, you, uh, but maybe Fowler did it for a, a bit longer, about four years, I guess. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen... I, I must have said this before. I don't think I've ever seen a more natural finisher in the Premier League. I mean, if you look at his pure numbers, it's absolutely incredible. So, 30 goals a season, 90, you know, in... Uh, 94, 95, uh, 95, 96 and 96, 97. Um, he scored uh, 98 goals in 116 games in his first three seasons. Um, and, you know, until recently he had the, the Premier League's fastest hat trick. Um, and, you know, I think people forget as well, even after the injury troubles, he was still a, you know, still a prolific goal scorer. And, and you know, in the Premier League, um, there aren't all that many more any pe- aren't all that many people that have scored um, as many Premier League goals uh, as as he scored. Uh, so obviously, if he hadn't have had um, the injury problems, I mean, you you'd have been looking at you know an, an unbelievable uh, career as a whole. As it is, even if you just look at the first half of his career, um, he was. A, a player that could score from basically anywhere. I mean, he, he was renowned for scoring a lot of, you know, instinct goals. But if you actually watch his 100 club back, he scored from outside the box, like, really regularly. Um, took free kicks, took penalties. Uh, unbelievable instincts. And also kind of underrated as a, uh, a, a you know, in his approach play, um, too. Uh, so I was going to go with Harry Kane here. And I decided not to, not only because, again, I didn't want too many homer picks in there, but also because if you're playing him and Bergkamp, I mean, certainly if you look at the current version of Harry Kane, he, he constantly wants to come into midfield. So you don't, you can't, you don't really want two players doing that unless you're, you know, Pep Guardiola in 2010. So, yeah, I kind of um, decided to go with more of a pure nine there. And Alan Shearer, don't like him. Probably the most least likable people, I think, in, in the history of football. Um, so Les, you know, maybe thought about it. Um, you know, Teddy loves Les. Uh, again, Teddy. But if you're going to play Burkamp, you can't really play Teddy as well. I mean, they found a way to make it work. But um, so yeah, I thought about what's the striker that I really enjoyed watching, and I really like, like you said, Pete, and I really enjoyed watching watching Robbie Fowler. Couldn't have two Arsenal players up there. I know I could have put Henri in there, but you know, I'm not, not going to put two, two goons <laughs> in there. Much. Yeah, no, thank you. You've got to draw the no. line somewhere, haven't you? Now, I, I mean, do you know what? I'm a big Spice Boys fan anyway. You know, uh, I, I love that Liverpool team uh, in general. And I think, you know, we didn't mention McManaman, but, you know, there, there's an argument for McManaman to, to nab one of those, one of those wide positions. Um, you know, I, I honestly think... Uh, Redknapp would could have been the better cousin if he didn't spend all his time on the uh, on the doctor's table as well, you know. So uh, Fowler, yeah, just fantastic number nine. You know, if you're looking for a number nine and you don't want Shearer, he's definitely in there. And you know, I'm the same. I wouldn't want Shearer either. Too boring. Yeah, brilliant at his best, but a lot of those goals were racked up um, subsequently um, in. Very traditional, old-fashioned, immobile centre-forward days, where he still had a knack for goal scoring, but 
wasn't anywhere near the exciting player he had been at Southampton and Blackburn and maybe the first couple of years at Newcastle. Uh, that counts against him, I think, if we're uh, comparing him in terms of dynamism and excitement and all those yeah, things. He has to enter in here somewhere, doesn't it? He basically turned it into Nat Loftus, didn't he, at the back end of his career. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like... Yeah, it's a, it's a good comparison. I, I think, like, yeah, lots of heading the goalkeeper into the net. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, that, that Fowler, yeah, and it's his... Other things as well, like I really like about him, the political activism, the stand he took for the Dockers, um, that, those sorts of things count as well for me. Like, Snorting cocaine <laughs> and yeah, but, you know, at Graham Lassau. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that wasn't that wasn't so good. But the Hill, the, the Hillsborough work that he did and the um, the work he did with the Dockers, I, I've always really admired that. Um, as well, obviously, very questionable fashion choices. There was like the bad bleach blonde hair and the weird nose plaster. But again, it just—it's all part of um, all part it's of what 90s, made him isn't in- it? <laughs> part of what made him interesting, wasn't it? So um, yeah, yeah, Shearer wouldn't do that, would he? You know, he just loses his hair. That was the, the only kind of style choice Alan Shearer ever made. That like <laughs> just going bald disgracefully, kicking Neil Lennon in the face. Was it Neil Lennon? Oh, it must yeah. be, is it? Kicking, kicking yeah, it was the Lennon. Lennon, wasn't it? It was Lennon he kicked in the face and then Abby says somehow that. didn't get banned for it. Abby says that if anyone deserves being anyone kicked, deserves in being kicked in the face. Uh, okay, so uh, those are our um, 11s. Do we, just, do we want to just run through them one more time for the people at home? Sure, yeah. sure. Can, can we just say it will, no one mentioned Aguero in there? He's got to be in. I, for sure. yeah. I, I know there's a lot of players, but he was certainly in the thinking. Yeah, I, yeah it, it, he's he's got to be close on a lot of people's. When with, it, you know how long he's done it for now, which is hard to actually comprehend. I mean, it doesn't feel like it, but it's been a very long tenure now. Without injuries, I think he'd have got close to Shearer's record. Because if you look at Aguero in the past five years in particular, he's actually been injured a lot and has still scored an absurd amount of goals. Um, as it is, I think only Harry Kane has really got a chance of catching Shearer. And again, the injuries are likely to catch up with Kane at some point. So I think Shearer's record looks pretty safe for um, a, a little while longer. Uh, but if Aguero hadn't been injured, I think he'd have got close. Certainly, I think he would have gone by Henri. Yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, I think he has gone by Henri. Has he, has he gone by him now? Aguero. Uh, yeah, he's one of the few that has actually scored more than Lampard, and Lampard outscored more than uh, scored more than Henri, which is absurd. <laughs> if you're just saying that out loud, actually brings it home. But yeah, Aguero is literally after only Shearer, um, Wayne Rooney, Andy Cole, and maybe one other. I think it's it's a, a ludicrous record. Absolutely, and and did it in you know really good title-winning sides as well. Um, all right, so you want to just as you uh, mentioned. Go on. I was just going to say, just before we uh, do cycle through the, the sides that we had, as you mentioned a moment ago, in less than ideal circumstances, I just wanted to say that very briefly, for a moment, before I decide to go with the Arsenal back four, Graham Lasseau did actually enter my mind as a possibility for a fullback. But, uh, yeah, I actually thought Lasseau as well uh, at some point. He, he, he was on my list. Yeah, just didn't quite make the cut. Yeah. Definitely, definitely worthy of the, of some consideration. Yeah, a very, very good player. Thought you were about very to put, important players to a lot of teams. Thought you were about to put big Tim Sherwood in your midfield there. Um, <laughs> 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 so, all right, so let's, let's let's go through. So, Pete, give us your eleven. 
uh, Brad Friedel, Mark Delaney, Paul McGrath. Uh, sorry, uh, that was the, the first one I did. Um, so we had Peter Schmeichel in goal, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Tony Adams and Steve Bold forming a very traditional looking back four. Uh, David Beckham and Ryan Giggs in an all-man United wing pairing with Patrick Vieira and Frank Lampard in the centre and midfield. Very all-action displays from them, you would imagine. And then up front, a very cultured strike partnership of Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp working between the lines. Yeah, so uh, Schmeichel in goal, uh, Gary Neville and Ashley Cole as the fullbacks, uh, Tony Adams and uh, Vincent Company as the centre-halves, Keane and Vieira as my central midfield pairing, uh, Ronaldo and Pires as the wide men with Audrey and um, Cantona up front. Excellent. Uh, and mine uh, was Pete Schmeichel in goal. Uh, we all went for Schmeichel in goal. Uh, Gary Neville at right back, Dennis Irwin left back, uh, Paul McGrath and Ricardo Carvalho in the centre of defence, uh, Andre Konchelskis uh, and Gareth Bale on the wing. And then Skulls and Modric in the centre of midfield and uh, Dennis Bergkamp and Robbie Fowler up top. Um, so that's been our discussion of uh, our Premier League 4-4-2 um, 11s. So obviously, if you feel like um, uh, jumping on Twitter and sending your own um, to our Twitter account, and I'm very going to unprofessionally double check the handle before I actually say that because uh, I'm not entirely sure what it is. Uh, so it's four eight at yeah four ATB pod. Um, so at four ATB pod. Um, if you'd like to uh, tell us that we are all idiots and that you have a better 11, no doubt you do. Um, all right. So uh, until next time, guys, uh, that's it from Fort and Back. And we'll see you uh, next week. You've been listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at 4ATBpod. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon.